Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of Citizen Dame, the podcast devoted to feminism, filmdom, garbage men. We got a lot of balls in the air. Um, as always, I am Kristen Lopez, here this week with Kimberly Pierce. Hello. And Karen Peterson. Hi. One day I'm going to say Ki- Karen Pierce. I know it. I know <laughs> I think you already happen. did that. Yeah. Okay, ago. so then Kimberly Peterson <laughs> is just the next the next in the line. Um, so we have a pretty light agenda this week, which is good because we're working on a time frame, and we also really want to get into talking about Ready Player One, but we're going to get some garbage men out of the way. Yes, they still exist in this brave new world. Um, so where do we want to start? Well, we can get the uh, El Presidente out of the way. Okay, so... Because why wouldn't we start there? Does anybody have the actual article for that? No. Of course not. Okay, I probably should have included it, but I'm me, so I just arbitrarily write letters on a thing. Okay, so this is courtesy of CNN. Um, You might have remembered uh, a couple episodes ago, we talked about how the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences president, John Bailey, had been accused of sexual harassment. Well, it turns out... By three different people, I think. By three different people. I I thought it was five. Oh, did it go up to five? I thought it was five. But all completely unfounded. It doesn't matter because (laughs) nothing ever happened. Uh, The the Academy actually, quote-unquote, conducted an investigation and cleared him of sexual harassment claims. Um, You know, were we really surprised... Did we really expect anything to come of this? Um, you know, no. Why, I, why would it in the boys' club? Exactly, yeah. I, I would have been surprised if they had found anything. Um, there's no real new real uh, discussion of what that investigation entailed. Um, well, I think all of this... Oh, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I think all of this comes back to the question of in these cases, there's really no evidence besides testimony. Right. Which... So how do you proceed with that? And, I mean, this is where you get into people saying, oh, it's a witch hunt or whatever. Because it's, like, it's very difficult to decide sometimes how to handle the situation. In this case, there are these people that have said, hey, this happened. And so the Academy's like, but he's our president. We're going to stand by him. Whereas someone else... That gets accused, and it's a very similar situation. They're drummed out of out of town, and it's like right. I don't know where the. I, I mean, do we just? Is it based on who we want to believe and who we like better? Like, I mean, there needs to be some consistency in. What well, and happens. if memory serves, he was never even he never t- stepped down. I mean, you know, took time away. Yeah, so I don't even think he took a leave of absence or anything. No, no, none of that. And so that didn't seem like there was much time for an investigation of any sort. The claim right. against Bailey was received on March 13th, and CNN article is dated March 28th. That's two weeks to thoroughly investigate and look into the matter. 
I hate to be the conspiracy theorist here, but to probably have somebody, you know, somebody receive a nice payment somewhere along the line. I just want to know why, why did they not choose Laura Dern again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Much like our, much like our current political realm, we could have had a strong, comp- competent woman. We had to go with the dude because dudes, and this is what we get. So look what happened. Look what happened. Um, Moving right along uh, to men who feel the need to support other men. I get, guys, that y'all want to have your little sisterhood, but um, sometimes just just maybe keep that stuff to yourself. Um, So Alex Proyas, who you might remember from um, making Dark City, he also did The Crow, correct? I think so. I think so. And then went on to make no other good movies after that. Yeah, name me the last Alex Proyas movie you like that wasn't from 1995. Um, <laughs> he he posted a uh, Facebook status that said, um, quote, kill them all, the guilty and the witch hunted, then you'll have nothing left to watch other than the sanitized, directed by committee crap you'll so thoroughly deserve. He said, also, he amended that post later and said, I do not support criminal perpetrators like Polanski in any way. I support Me Too and abuse survivors. I do not believe Terry Gilliam should be lumped in with perpetrators for stating an opinion, however egregious, clarification for those who might not get this. So, if you don't know, Alex Price pretty much came out and said that Terry Gilliam was a gem and... He did nothing wrong but state his opinion. Apparently, he did not see Ellen Birkin's tweet about not getting in an elevator with Terry Gilliam, which she has not gone on to elaborate on, but apparently he must not have seen that. Um, And this just goes back to what I keep saying. These guys, and it's usually always men, they know what rape looks like. You know, they know better than to say Polanski and Woody Allen are great guys at this point. A, the tide is turned on those two, and B, those are criminal allegations. Mm-hmm. These guys, though, don't want to acknowledge their, and I think Lauren would agree with me if she were here, they don't want to acknowledge their own behavior. And so Terry Gilliam, who might have just maybe, you know, we don't know, Alan Barkin has not said anything, but something happened between the two of them, and Alex Proyas is pretty much saying, eh, it's a witch hunt. It goes right back to that Aziz Ansari article about men know what black and white looks like. They don't want to mitigate the gray because they don't want to have to acknowledge the situations that they maybe have unintentionally put women in themselves. So, as we said with Terry Gilliam, Alex, who did you hurt? Because I get the sneaking suspicion something's coming up. Well, yeah, I mean, he's someone that hate to be that person but like just get that creepy vibe from him <laughs> there's just something I was not just, i'm there. looking at his imdb yeah, and i was just, just thinking that, that right he just did make an egyptian set movie with a bunch of white people so i mean like i've yes. already had that issue that he's like not not dealing with things properly mm-hmm. um when yeah, so. i i hate to be that guy but i'm also looking looking at his filmography i could see him also being the type just to want to keep his name in the spotlight Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, a director that does not have an easy time making movies. Why right. would you want to look like a dick? Because because they protect their own. Yes. But we don't want to limit it just to men. Sometimes women make poor statements. 
And apparently a lot of these poor statements from women are coming from France. I think. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. So we saw with Catherine Deneuve, my queen, who I love, but she made asinine statements and it hurts me. Um, but now Catherine Briault, who you might know is the director of the films Fat Girl, Abuse of Weakness, Bluebeard, she went on the Murmur podcast to discuss Harvey Weinstein, who she says his downfall is, quote, a loss for European cinema. And she also talked about Asia Argento, who was the one of the initial accusers of Harvey Weinstein. She calls her, quote, a mercenary and a traitor. She says she's not for me too. And she says Jessica Chastain should have never criticized Last Tango in Paris. You know, well, she also says that she is against the movement. They have one in France mm -hmm. um, that has a hashtag that I'm not going to say because I don't speak French and I don't want to sound like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> it's, um, sorry, let me pull it up again. I yes, yes. If it. anybody's it's... got a better French accent. Balance ton porc. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Which translates to denounce your pig. Um, she says, quote, it's too easy to accuse people via hashtags anonymously. We have a justice system. Um, we know the hashtag was invented out of vengeance. This isn't to diminish women. There are real rapes and real violence. That's, yeah, so... Well, maybe their hashtag was out of vengeance, but the Me Too hashtag was not vengeance. It was solidarity. It yes. was like, hey, yeah. this happened to Me Too. That's literally says, what quote, it's about. She says, quote, of course, if you're 14, verbal violence can be the same as actual physical aggression. But when you're 25 or 30 and you go to a man's hotel room, you know the game. Women shouldn't present themselves as bimbos or innocent young things, regardless of their age. Rather, we have to educate young girls so that they're better equipped to defend themselves and so they don't feel soiled just because someone said something to them. Well, and I hate the fact that it keeps coming back to... and. I swear I've heard this three or four times this week it keeps coming back to well a woman should know better when she goes into a situation like that how about the right that we all have to be treated like human beings and not sex objects and yes there's so much to break down with this because you know and I hate to say it but I mean France France held on to Roman Polanski even after allegations came out it was an open secret about his relationships with underage girls there and that was kind of cons I mean you look at the history of French cinema you look at the stereotypes we have about France I mean you know Maurice Chevalier singing thank heaven for little girls I mean it's something we've all known and I'm not really surprised that France is pushing back against it at the same time she's trying Catherine Brialt specifically is trying to say you know, it's stuff we've talked about a lot as we've been covering this, you know, the concept of, I would love for these cases to go to a court of law. I'd love that. Our justice system does not work that way, unfortunately, because it is too much, as Ka Karen pointed out, there's, there's little physical evidence to go on in most of these cases, and there's always going to be a way to rip apart the victim. There's, unless you are a nun and you are Harvey Weinstein, there is always going to be a way to say, well, hey, lady, maybe you did something. You know, maybe you did it. So, why were you, being a, why were you behaving like a slut? Right, right, right. right. Exactly. You know? Well, and even in the rare cases, in these cases where there is physical evidence, the crime labs are so backlogged right. with rape kits to test that it takes years to get that done. And we're running into this problem in L.A. County and I'm sure across the country where they're they're 
running up against the statute of limitations right. on these cases. This is why a bunch of jurisdictions are actually ending the statute of limitation against rape cases because of the fact that by the time they're able to actually get around to examining the evidence, it's too late to prosecute. So That yeah. is a sad testament to the justice system right there. Mm-hmm. That is a sad, sad case. Yeah, it's there's not enough money and not enough people to, yeah. to and, do these and, tests, so... Adding insult to injury, she kind of went on to talk about Asia Argento and said, um, essentially that Asia Argento was trying to get in good with Weinstein, and she says, quote, it was motivated by self-interest, it was a kind of semi-prostitution. And I think that's what we're, it's gonna be hard, I think, to get that mentality out of people's heads, because that's what Hollywood was founded on. If women wanted in the quickest way to do that, and sometimes the only way to do that, was to sleep with somebody. Sleep with the right... I mean, that's kind of the the joke, right? You know, you slept with the right people to get where you are. And I think that that's really going to be hard for a lot of people to be like, oh, shit, is that really what it was? Or was it something... I mean, we have a hard time dealing with power imbalance, you know? And just because something is consensual still doesn't mean that it's not inappropriate whether the age difference is significant or the power balance is is significant and to say that weinstein's not complicit because his his victims wanted to get into hollywood no he still implied to them that unless you sleep with me you're not going to get in and that i have a right to sleep with you as your boss i'm your in baby exactly and i want to say how many times, and I'm sure there are statistics, but I'm sure they're nowhere near as high. How many times do you see a woman in power do that? Exactly. How many times? I mean, really, I know that's the dream in porn, but how many times <laughs> did you actually hear that? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. They're not Julianne Moore in Boogie Nights, okay? In the If you've seen Boogie Nights. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not that, okay? <sighs> it I probably just... happens, but not nearly to the same extent. No. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody's going to be like, well, actually, here's a statistic about all the poor men who are sexually harassed by women in power. I would love to see statistics. I don't think they're nearly as high. No. I mean, yeah, we're not saying it doesn't happen. It clearly yes. happens, but, yeah. but the incidences of it are much lower. Part of the reason might be just because there aren't as many women in that position of power, right. mm-hmm. but... You know, and, and I would also say this doesn't extend to just men and heterosexual either. I mean, I think Terry Crews has proven to us that it's also men and men. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know? So, that's enough from the dumpster today. Um, let's let's start with um, some news. Where do we want to start? Let's start with the oldest thing first, because we didn't actually talk about this when it broke. Why don't we talk about Ben Affleck? Because we brought that up last week. Let's just get that out of the way. That would be a nice dumpster fire (laughs) transition. Karen, tell us about Backchat Gate. Oh my gosh. Okay, so (laughs) this is so funny. So Ben Affleck responded to the criticisms about his back tattoo. The New Yorker, um, they tweeted... Uh, I'm trying to find the tweet. Sting it, I found his, but I can't find... He didn't reply, so... But anyway, they were tweeting, basically egging him on about his back tattoo, as everybody was, like, for, you know, what, two weeks or so? 
And finally, I guess, Ben had had enough, and he replied to the New Yorker, and he said, I'm doing just fine. Thick skin bolstered by garish tattoos. <laughs> I so. would love for him <laughs> to just, like, go on a night, a late-night show and explain the story behind, like, all, his, that life decision. Mm-hmm. I feel like just, if he's going to do that, it's going to be on Kimmel's show, and it needs to happen. Yeah. Yes, because, um, I... Kimball would ask him, that's the thing. I need an explanation. Like, I want to know, I want to know everything. I want to know what he was doing, what he was drinking before he was, he decided, (laughs) like, did he look at, I don't remember what relationship he was in when he decided to start this process, but did he look at his lady and was like, you know what, baby, I really want to get a fucking big ass back tattoo and what was that what was that woman's response i mean here's what i here's my here's my theory i think that conspiracy theory i love this no it's not conspiracy (laughs) theory i think he lost a bet (laughs) i think he started the process (laughs) and then later he was like this is really stupid and it hurts like hell and so he didn't go back and finish it and he just hasn't bothered to get it removed yet (laughs) Yeah, because that's, like, the whole bag. What was he drinking? (laughs) Exactly. It goes back to the initial thing. What was he drinking at the Mm -hmm. time? Who was he with? Who was he with? Was it it a decision fueled by Matt Damon? Probably. I want to know. Matt's like, you know what would be hilarious? (laughs) Exactly. He he realized just how much he missed Jennifer Garner and replaced her with a garish back tattoo. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Matt Damon was like, look, remember when we made that shitty bet about Gigli all those years ago? Well, you never paid up, man. So I feel like you should do that. Um, Yeah, there's a story there. Um, Yeah. So moving on, we're going to the oldest bit of news first. Um, This is from Deadline. But Tessa Thompson has signed up to star in Sony Pictures' Men in Black spinoff. So, uh, uh, alongside Chris Hemsworth, who was uh, announced a couple weeks ago. Um, and suddenly I'm interested in this Amen. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this is going to be directed by F. Gary Gray, who I still know is the guy who remade The Italian Job. And I actually really enjoy that movie. Um, unlike the previous films that just had Will Smith versus older curmudgeon played by Tommy Lee Jones, this is supposed to be more of an ensemble piece. Um which I don't really know how to respond to that. Supposedly they are going to get an older actor and it's going to be some type of trio. Um, And it's also going to expand on the world of the original films. So I've seen all three Men in Black movies. I like one. I hate two. And three is Josh Brolin in 1960s where, so I just kind of ignore it. Um... I don't think I ever saw the third one now that, I, now that you mentioned it. I was going to say, you were better than I am, yeah. Kristen, because I missed oh, three. Oh, my friend is still mad that I made every... I went, we went opening day. I was like, we're going to see this movie. Um, it's Josh Brolin doing a really good Tommy Lee Jones impersonation. I mean, and Bill Hader plays Warhol. Like, those are literally the only two good things. Oh, Michael Stuhlbarg's in it, too. What? Yeah, he plays the lovable little alien. It's, it's it's not going to win him <laughs> any Oscars. I think it was, like, right after he got an Oscar nomination, too. So it was, like, kind of a come down. But it, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's pleasant. Um, so, yeah, this is a, this is not a sequel. This is a spinoff. Um, I'm, I've always been a little bummed that they didn't bring back Linda Fiorentino from the first film. But I've, I've, I've moved yes. on. Um, I'm into this. I was not into this originally because, you know, I like Hemsworth. But I was like, eh. 
it's another sequel reboot that he's doing but tessa t i will go to the ends of the world and back for her so i'm in i'm in well and the two of them together is yes. just mm-hmm. so much fun them in thor ragnarok they were just gold together and i'm totally down to watch them in a whole movie just the two of them well i'm sure there will be other people but you know what i mean this is probably the only way that they could cast that i would potentially be interested because as soon as i heard this it's like dear god guys step back let 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 my childhood alone just just let's get something new and it's like okay fine yeah (laughs) so yeah this comes out june 14th of next year i'm in i'm in I'm in. I, I, if I had a gift oh, yeah. right now, if we did video, it would be the Tessa Thompson drinks gift right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready. Um, where do oh, we want to yeah. go next? Um, okay, we're going to uh, get, get the sly. Okay, I wrote in the notes section of all of this, <laughs> before you all roll your eyes, female filmmakers. So before i say anything i'm just gonna remind you this is directed by a woman and we are supportive of women directors this was not biased although like eight people sent me this link and i was like god people know my brand okay so we're gonna preface i'm gonna get all the other stuff out of the way um so olivia munn is going to going to be in this uh film called violet directed by justine bateman who you might know as the sister of Jason Bateman. Um, if you watch the rest of the development, they have a really, really funny subplot. The uh, oh my gosh, first it's season. hilarious. She's yes. Nelly. Yes, um, I uh-huh. still, I still quote extensively. She blew them all <laughs> away. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. It's so great. Um, so she's decided to to turn to directing. So she's going to make this movie with Olivia Munn. That I love the premise of it. It's going to follow a rising film executive played by Olivia Munn who lives according to a voice in her head that has been lying to her about everything. I support this premise 100%. Now, the premise is even better when you know who is the voice in her head, which is our unofficial mascot. It's Justin Theroux. As Karen and I will tell you, having watched Girl on a Train, this is fucking perfect. (laughs) (laughs) It's really true. I I told my mom this premise. I told my mom this premise. I'm like, look, mom, it's about a woman who's essentially being gaslit by her subconscious. I'm like, guess who her subconscious is voiced by? Justin Theroux. My mom's like, because if you're going to get gaslit, you might as well do it by the best. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I, I support this. Um, it's directed by a woman, so I expect it to be super funny and maybe a bit snarky. Um, there's no no release date on it, but I'm here for it. I was here for it before I found out he was in it. God. <laughs> yeah, sure. I just, uh, I just don't know about Olivia Munn. Yeah, I think she's kind of I, the oddball. I... She's like Scott Eastwood. We keep trying to make her happen. And well, I'm not pro- really yeah. seeing anything. I mean, she's she's not bad, but she's. Not I just good. don't see her in a leading role carrying a film. Like that's just not who she is. You know, she's funny when she pops in, you know, here and there. But I just people really liked her on what, what the newsroom. She was very good in newsroom. I liked her in that a lot. Hmm. So so maybe it's possible. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I, 
she cracks me up, but yeah, it's usually in side parts. Yeah. I can't, th- I mean, and she was a supporting character in Newsroom, too, so it's, it'll be interesting. And I, I mean, mean, all that to I say, mean, I mean, I'm rooting for her. I want her to do well. I like her. I think she's a, you know, charming person, but I just, mm, I don't all know. All I'm seeing <laughs> is like, is this going to be some sort of Harvey-esque movie where, <laughs> Justin Theroux sits in the corner. Is it going to be like The Leftovers? Because that's really, really what I want. Um, then again, if he's just literally a disembodied voice in her head, I'm going to be like, dude, just have him read all the books. Because um, I support this. Um, so yeah. Moving on to... So we went from something that makes me happy to something that makes me want to roll my eyes. Colin Trevorrow. He's back, guys. I'm sorry, I'm I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know that name. <laughs> well, I have expunged it from my brain. So after being booted off of a Star Wars movie, um, Spielberg and all of them thought, you know what, Colin, you've had a hard life. Your white, male, entitled existence. You've had it rough. We're going to give you a little something. We're going to give you another Jurassic Park movie. Um, so he is set to return to direct the third Jurassic World film um, after the second one uh, that comes out uh, earlier this, this summer. Uh, which is directed by, what is it, J.A. Bayona, I think is doing Fallen Kingdom? Yeah, yeah. that sounds right. Um, so he's going to direct this, currently co-writing it with Emily Carmichael. Um, this already has a release date of June 11th, 2021. Uh, Jurassic Park, or Jurassic World, it's Jurassic Park, I don't care. Fallen Kingdom uh, comes no, out. No, do not disparage the name of Jurassic Park like that, <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> Fallen Kingdom comes out June 22nd. Colin Trevorrow co-wrote that movie with Derek Conley. So Colin Trevorrow gave a statement that says, quote, it's important to this franchise that we welcome new creative voices to keep our storytelling fresh and alive. Um, yeah, but they brought you back. So how is that creative voices that are new that keep the storytelling fresh? There is nothing about that franchise that is fresh or alive. I have never the fact been. That Colin Trevorrow keeps getting movie roles. You know, keeps getting directing roles. Well, that's makes the me thing. My yeah, and roll my eyes. The thing is that Colin Trevorrow had like a mildly successful independent film, and then somehow got Jurassic World, <laughs> which I don't get. It made a billion dollars, and so people were like, "Great, he can make money." And I got into a little bit of a thing yesterday with people because I compared Ready Player One to Jurassic World, which I maintain was accurate, and we will get into that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, it's like all these people that just love Jurassic World for the visuals, which is fine. It does look amazing. But they just, it's like, don't... Why do they not care that this man doesn't know how to tell a story? Well, that leads into something that's not on our agenda, but we should bring it up. So, Vulture did an article where they interviewed an unnamed source on Solo. And this, yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. I did you not this. read that article? No. Oh, it's a good one. So, the unnamed person who says he's not one of the leads, but he was on set, he, he was a major player, but would not disclose his name... Um, who I'm assuming is not named Donald Glover. I don't know. It, it, Donald. Well, it yeah. also does it specifically say it was a guy because it to I'm me ass- it didn't. Really... I'm assuming it was a guy because I assume I think in men. Um, <laughs> so it might have been a woman. Uh, either way, they they brought up how 
Um, but I just wanted to point out, like, we don't have any idea who this yes. is. There's no way to really narrow it down, so. So the article pretty much boiled down a lot of the issues to how Lord and Miller, um, who were the original directors, wanted to find the movie in the editing room. And that the set was really disorganized. They would make Alden Ehrenreich do 20 takes of a scene and were really unclear about what they wanted. And that when Ron Howard came in, it wasn't better, it wasn't worse, it was just organized. It was efficient. It was just filming the movie as it was. Um, they also mentioned that Alden Ehrenreich did not know what he was doing because Lord and Miller essentially told him to act like Harrison Ford. Oh, no. Which did not help him. Um, so... The thing that yeah, they didn't really tell him how to act like Harrison Ford. They just told him to act like Harrison Ford. <laughs> so yeah. it's easy to see why they're replaced. But the thing that really grinded my gears was they said the the source said it was obvious that Lord and Miller did not have the experience to make a movie of this magnitude. Now we talk about this. We talk about Colin Trevorrow. How many fucking times did Kathleen Kennedy and other people with Star Wars say, "Well, we didn't." get a woman because we don't think Colin Trevor himself fucking said I don't think a woman wants these movies because they don't have the experience they're not looking for these roles you hired two guys to make your movie I'm losing my voice <laughs> because I'm so mad you hired two guys to make this movie that had experience in animation and low budget comedies you gave them the keys to a fucking Maserati of a franchise and you're surprised they crashed it I, I'm yeah, just, exactly. I'm so frustrated that, by that mentality. Oh, that, has, that has been my point since they fired Lord Miller. It's with all of these issues that the Star Wars franchise keeps having, they keep fucking doing it. And But yet Kathleen Kennedy stands up there going, Kathleen Kennedy stands up there saying, well, a woman doesn't have, ex we don't have any female directors with experience enough to helm this franchise. Why does she keep giving it to these men without the experience? Yeah, well, I just, I mean, the thing is, it keeps happening, it's happened twice, which is too many, but it's it's not like this is happening on every single Star Wars movie, so, I mean, there's that. But, yeah, it's it's this weird thing, it's, I think I was talking to you about this, Kristen, with what Colin Trevorrow was saying, it's like, oh, well, women don't have the experience to do it, okay, well... They don't have the experience, but they can't get the experience. So what is it that women have to do to step up and be able to be taken seriously for these films? If you're going to take the guys who did, like, 21 Jump Street, which is a hilarious movie. But that's another problem, is that Lord and Miller, they did movies like that. And then they thought that that's what the intention was for Solo, that that's the tone that, that they wanted for this movie. And then they're like know it's supposed to be serious it's like well wait why did you hire them right and i and these guys don't do serious Lego movie guys. i can't blame, right I, and i think it goes perfectly into what we're going to talk about later with ready player one we hire these directors that know nostalgia so you look at lord and miller and they are a directors who have created their entire filmography based on nostalgia whether it's hearkening back to the 80s with with 21 jump street going all the way back to my my personal favorite Lord and Miller thing, which is Clone High, the MTV cartoon, which was all about bringing these characters from the past and putting them in the future and just kind of riffing on the personas that we knew about them. Um, you should watch it if you haven't seen it. It's really funny. Um, 
that does not equate to I think somebody watched those things and thought these guys know nostalgia they know the Star Wars past that's totally going to translate into making a serious Star Wars movie same with Trevorrow I mean you look at Safety Not Guaranteed which is a movie all about going back to the past and wanting to relive elements of that of course he can make this franchise this Jurassic Park movie that's all about hearkening back to the past I have an unpopular opinion I'd like to share uh, go <laughs> well, for it. I don't know if it's unpopular, but I'm guessing it will be. Um, I think that they would have been a better choice to direct Ready Player One. Ooh, yes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, they would have been. Uh-huh. And we'll talk about why when we get there, but... So yeah, I yeah. think I think that that's why. I think that's the, the studio's belief. Yeah. Feel free to yeah. talk about and yourself. It's... Well, I... I... I know nostalgia. They should give me a goddamn movie. I'm on test to Kim and Karen and I and Lauren, we all love classic movies. We could totally direct a Star Wars movie, okay? I'll, I'll cut mm. my hair even pretend Wh- I'm a dude. Wait. I don't care. Wait a minute. We all love classic movies. <laughs> yeah, I have short hair. Wait a minute. Think about this, guys. Mind blown. We all know classic movies. We should direct a Star Wars movie. Oh, wait. Ryan Johnson did that, and he directed Last Jedi, and everybody fucking crucified him for it. Not everybody. Not everybody. Only no, half I still. Of the I still. <laughs> and he got three more movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yep. I was just rewatching the Last Jedi on Blu-ray because I support. I bought that shit at Target on Blu-ray because Amazon wasn't selling it. And I was. I love if if anybody's um, looking at the Nerdist. Um, they, they just did a whole article um, their fantastic social media Maven Michelle did a whole article comparing in GIFs all the references Last Jedi makes to classic film you should read it that was such a good piece it's amazing um, loved that so yeah just because you know movies and you know nostalgia if you're a male and you know 80s nostalgia does not mean that you know how to make a fucking movie um, so yeah that and brings... we're going to talk more about that when we get around to right that. but let's talk about Steven Spielberg a little bit because he's making some statements that were a little bit funny. So, Steven Spielberg says that Netflix movies should not be campaigning for Oscars. Because, quote, the minute that you become a TV, you air on a TV, you are a TV format. And that they should be considering for Emmys. So, here's the thing. <laughs> first of all, he's not the first one to make this statement, and he definitely won't be the last. Second of all... I don't entirely disagree with him, and here's why. Um, You're just the queen of unpopular opinions today, aren't you, Karen? (laughs) Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing. I I think that if a movie's primary primary objective is to get onto Netflix, I think that that is something that we do need to talk about. Amazon has a great model. Amazon releases all of their movies that they actually want to have considered – The Academy rule is that it has to play in a theater for seven consecutive days sometime during the year, starting before December 31st. That's why so many movies come out December 25th and December 30th um, to to get in that last minute. And they come out like in one theater in L.A. And then it satisfies this Hollywood or this uh, Academy requirement. But the thing is that they're allowed it it's allowed to have a say a day and date release where they can be released in the theater and also be on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or whatever on the same day. And that the reason why I don't completely disagree with Spielberg and what he's saying is because now doing it that way, 
diminishes the expectation that this is something that you should be enjoying in a cinema. And that's what filmmakers are doing. They're not making, you know, Steven Spielberg's not making movies for the small screen. He's making movies for the big screen. Same with, you know, Ava DuVernay. She makes A Wrinkle in Time. That's intended to be seen on a big screen. Alex Garland with Annihilation. It's a smaller movie, smaller budget, but it's intended to be seen on a big screen with, you know, with all that beautiful, glorious color and everything. That's the that's what these filmmakers are intending to do when they're making these movies. What Amazon does is they release their films theatrically like any other studio would, like Paramount or Universal or anybody would. And then, because they already own the property, once it leaves theaters or has, you know, limit, like they can limit the run or however they want to do it, but they leave their movies in the theater for at least a month or two. And then it ends up on their streaming service on Prime pretty, pretty soon after it's out of the theater. That's a model that I fully support and embrace. Mm -hmm. And if Netflix would do it that way, I think you'd have so much less feedback and pushback from people like Spielberg saying, no, this shouldn't be considered. So that's where I kind of agree with what he's saying. So what I'm going to go, maybe I'm saying the same thing. I'm going to go a different route. When you have a movie that premieres, that's a foreign language or or an independent film, or, or something like that, and it premieres for a week, and then it goes to Netflix. Or it just premieres for a week in general. If it just premieres mm-hmm. for a week and it's not available to anybody else except that theater for a week in LA, and you're completely limiting the release, is that not also gaming the system to get an Academy nomination? That's exactly mm-hmm. why this is exactly why it's a problem. Yes. Right, right. Okay, so I was going to say, and maybe that's we're why saying Spielberg doesn't thing. like it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't necessarily uh-huh. think it's a Netflix problem. I think it's it's a, a filmmaking problem. Which is what I... Well, actually, I had said on Twitter, this conversation came up with someone else, I don't remember who. I said maybe it's actually an Academy problem, and maybe they need it. to change the rule yeah. and make that a little bit more I mean, my, current to today's, you know... My, my argument is a bit more modern, and it might be controversial. So my, my whole thing is, is if you're showing a movie at any point in time in a film, at theater, and then after that it goes to Netflix or HBO or what the fuck ever... It's a movie. Um, somebody was asking me about The Tale, uh, which is going to go to HBO. And they were like, so you don't think the Academy... Uh, I'm all... the. I think the filmmakers could have campaigned it for Oscars and put it in a theater for a week and then had it premiere on HBO. But they're not going to. Because right. the assumption is, A, it's far easier to get a film nominated for an Emmy than it is to get nominated for an Oscar. And B, because the paradigm... It's, it's just what we know. It's what we know. So they're not going to change that system. But with Netflix, I mean, if those... We saw when they released Beasts of No Nation in a theater and put it on Netflix. The theaters were the ones who were saying, we're not going to show this in our movie. Movie houses, we're not going to do it. So even if Netflix wants to do this and show their movies in a the theater, if the theaters are going to limit them and say, no, we're not going to show your movies, then the system's rigged against Netflix. <laughs> Well, but why are those theaters saying, no, I'm not going to do it? They're doing it for Amazon. They have a lot of different, they have a lot of different requirements that other studios aren't doing. And so 
the theaters are like, I just don't even want to mess with this. This is too much of a hassle. And one of the problems that you have going on, too, is with Netflix, there are rules with the Academy that contradict rules with the Emmys. And so you have a movie like Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th, which was eligible for both. And what did it get beaten by? A six-hour or eight-hour quote-unquote movie. For ESPN. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I'm still bitter about that. I'm still really, oh, I am so, really well, and they changed, they changed the documentary rule because of that. Yeah, I mean the Academy I'm, changed that, so I have a feeling that over the course of this year, or maybe not until next year, depending on how Martin Scorsese's movie does this year, um, which is a Netflix movie, I think the Academy's going to be making that rule a little bit different. I mean, I hate to say it, it needs to come from them. I hate to say it, but honestly. Netflix is kind of the wave of the future. We want, audiences want instant gratification. We're not saying we're not going to go to the movie theater. But it, it goes back to, I think people forget that day and date release has been something that the, the studios have been dabbling with for a long time. I, I've probably mentioned it on the podcast, but Disney wanted you to be able to, they dabbled with back in the day, you going to see the movie in the theater, taking your ticket stub and being able to buy the VHS at the concession stand and having the movie at home after you have paid for it in the theater. And the theaters were the ones who were saying, no, we're not going to do that. I mean, Netflix... Well, yeah, because why are you going to come back with your family if you can just go buy one ticket? Right. I'm not saying that it's a perfect engine. But, I mean, what Netflix could do is release their movies in a theater for, you know, how two or three weeks and then say it's going to be on Netflix. I mean, I think it's, I think it's the wave of the future. I think... It's gonna be how we're gonna we're gonna see things shorter. The window already between theater and DVD is getting shorter and shorter. And yeah, it is. That is true. Yeah, and that's fine. That is very true. But the thing is, like, what is wrong with the way Amazon's doing it? Why can't Netflix do it that way? How, oh, how long right is now it? because they don't have to. Right. How long is Amazon's? At, but Amazon's window between. Re- it's usually theater. at least two months. Yeah, it, it's... I I would say, prediction-wise, I would say we're going to see that eventually, maybe in the next five to ten years, that's going to get cut down to 30 days. Well, but that's Amazon's choice. I mean, right, right. They I, don't, they, and they don't release all of their movies theatrically. No, There no. are a lot that they just put straight to I'm just to talking Amazon, in general. But... I mean, I'm just spitballing. I'm just doing my armchair Nostradamus. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I'm just... My thing is, like, this is not a Netflix problem. This is an Academy problem. And if people want their, the Oscar films to be considered based on their theatrical releases, then they need to change the rules so that Netflix can't game the system. I can see that. Not that, that it has done a whole lot for Netflix so far. They've won, like, two Oscars for Docs. Yeah, that's true. Um, that leads us to our, our question for the, the week. Um, this one is actually something I thought of. So, I mentioned earlier I bought Last Jedi at Target. Why? Because you cannot actually buy the Blu-ray on Amazon. It's backlogged for, I think, the next uh, three weeks. DVD and Blu-ray. Because, and the rumor I heard, is that Disney is essentially wanting to get rid of DVD disc production. They don't want to do Blu-rays. They don't want to do DVDs anymore. They want to just be able to sell the digital. And we're seeing that a lot more, especially with Amazon that they are not, they're staggering the Blu-ray and DVD releases. So I know you could have bought Lady Bird 
on digital about three or four weeks before you could have bought the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray didn't become available, I think, until about the week before. Star Wars was not offering a Blu-ray up until the day of, and now they're sold out for the next three weeks. Um, but you could have bought the, the digital, which had all the bonus features, I think about three weeks ago. So with Amazon not selling Blu-rays uh, as much and Disney wanting to go all digital, do we see the Blu-ray model coming to an end, the disc model? And what, if you haven't already gone fully digital, what's going to convince you, you guys? Well, I mean, I've said forever that eventually we're going to get to the point where everything's digital and we don't have mm -hmm. DVD libraries anymore or Blu-ray or whatever. Um, to me, this, this move from Disney is very, um, I'm sure it's just a coincidence that their streaming service is launching next year. Yeah. And I'm sure that they have no intention of only making their films available for purchase through their streaming service. They would never do that. Are you saying Disney's a cold, heartless company that doesn't give a shit about you? No, I'm actually not saying that, and I don't fully believe that. <laughs> However... <laughs> the House of Mouse is taking us all over. <laughs> oh, this is not the company Walt built. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Kill our mouse-eared overlords. <laughs> yeah. But uh, to go fully digital, what would convince me is no other option. Yeah. I like having my movies out that I can see them, but the only way that I'll go fully digital is if I just can't do that anymore. You know? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I've gone through every format, almost every format. So I, I did VHS, I did Blu-ray. Okay, I still have a VCR, guys. Ooh. So I don't use it. I haven't used I it in a too. long time, but I still have it. It's still there. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do Blu-rays, I do DVDs. Um, I have a lot of them. I, I actually just took out a massive amount because we're trying to downsize to move. And I took out easily about... 300 DVDs and Blu-rays that I just didn't need anymore um, and got rid of them. So I would love a world where I didn't have the clutter of, of discs. The problem that I have is, so what, what limits me from going fully digital right now is A, you know, we're classic, Kim and I, classic film ladies. The, the mm -hmm. studios do not release classic films. at. It's hard to get them at all. And really we're seeing them released on the few places that are releasing them on DVD. I mean, that's kind of our only option. They're not, Netflix has already said that based on their analytics, there's not a lot of call for, for Blu-ray or for digital copies of classic films, unless you have Filmstruck or watch TCM or Warner art. Well, it's now Warner archive is what uh, Filmstruck. I mean, we're limited in that regard. Blu-rays are kind of the only option for, for us who love classic films. Um, also, what what prevents me from going fully digital, I'm kind of a conspiracy nut here. A, if the EMP ever actually happens and we, like, knock out Wi-Fi, at least I can sit at home with my Blu-ray player and I have my discs with me. Um, at the same well, time... Well, if the EMP happens, the Blu-ray player probably won't work and the TV won't work either, but... Thank <laughs> yes. Um, Technicalities. It's, it's a world where Wi-Fi doesn't exist, I guess. Yeah. Um, and also, it's the fact that um, I was told, somebody was saying in the fine print of these digital copies, if you look, technically, you don't own them. You're just kind of long-term leasing them from the studio. So, in theory, if the rights change to a movie, 
then they can decide to take away the Blu-ray copy or the digital copy that you've purchased. Um, And Mm -hmm. that is like, I'm like, no, I bought this damn physical disc. It's mine to keep unless somebody breaks into my house and steals it. Um, so those are the reasons I, I don't go digital. Um, I, I if do... You let your net, if you let your uh, Amazon subscription expire, they can take away your video library there. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like there's too many things where this this the company that owns these streaming services can say, technically you don't own this product. We own this product. And no, I have a bunch of discs that I do own. Um, so those are the reasons I don't go digital because I think the verbiage right now is really limiting to people who are actually plunking down their hard-earned money for these movies. So that's me. Kim, what about you? I have I have gone digital in certain cases, like where, I mean, completely new releases and ones where it's matters of delay of gratification. So there are some, but if I'm passionate enough about something, I will go out and buy it because on digital, I'm only watching it on one screen right now. If I'm like La La Land, I will, I freely admit I loved, I have that digital and in another form. It's, I'm very worried about the digital format as well. And I'll get it, you know, I'll get it, and I'll I'll have some of the new releases on there, but like you said, Kristen, it's still so limited right now. It's, Netflix is absolutely horrible for, you know, classic film. So one's like, I still prefer to have that tactile disc right there in front of me. Yep, so you can, you can tell us where you end on the, the debate by uh, sending us a tweet, because we'd love to know why... You, if you haven't gone digital, why not? What's what's taking you so long? And if you did buy Star Wars The Last Jedi at a brick-and-mortar store like I did, tell me! Because I felt very weird. Um, you know, the guy was like, thought I was a Star Wars fan. I was like, no, it's just, I really needed it, and I can't buy it on Amazon. <laughs> Support your brick-and-mortar. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we only have one trailer out this week. Um, it's for the Simon Pegg, Margot Robbie film Terminal. Um... I'm trying to actually pull up a plot that gives me some type of synopsis about what the hell this movie is about. <laughs> and I can't seem to find it. It doesn't one. have to be about anything. It's Simon Pegg and Margot Robbie. I No, I, I'm sorry. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it does, for me at least, it needs to be about something because I, I think Margot Robbie is great, but I need more. Um, okay, so according to IMDb, it says, In the dark heart of a sprawling anonymous city, Terminal follows the twisting tales of two assassins carrying out a sinister mission, a teacher battling a fatal illness, an enigmatic janitor, and a curious waitress leading a dangerous double life. Murderers' consequences unravel in the dead of night as their lives all intertwine at the hands of a mysterious criminal mastermind hell-bent on revenge. That seems like an overly complicated plot for a movie starring Mike Myers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I watched the trailer for this, and I had no idea what the hell it was about. It's Margot Robbie walking. I thought it was so pretty. It's very pretty. Margot Robbie is very pretty. She looked good in the coat. Um, that was it. I, I I like Baby Irons, too. I think he's yeah. very pretty. No! Well. No! I am not Team Baby Irons, okay? He, he looks like his mother. Uh, sorry. It's just a problem, and he doesn't have the voice, and he's... Yeah, no. He's not for me. Um... <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I need more. I need to know what this movie is about. It sounds very complicated. And it comes out May 11th. So they might want to do something. Um, because 
I need more. Do we feel like I, this is a worthy follow-up for Academy Award nominee Margot Robbie? This feels like something that they had filmed a couple years ago, and then they had. Yeah, and it's just finally coming out. Yes. Yeah, that was my impression, too. Like, this has been kind of uh, bouncing around for a while or something. I don't know. I was... I was watching the trailer, I got really excited, and then I started going through the writer and director's credits, and then I got sad. <laughs> oh god, what did this guy make? Or what, I'm assuming it's a guy. Nothing. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. This is a this is a first-time writer-director who's just been, I think he might have a few, I'm pulling up his IMDB as we speak, he has a few, like, assistant director credits. So this is once again an untested, you know, director getting a movie. So yeah. what you're saying? Well, and this is not a big distribution. This is like RLJE Films, which did the movie that's out now, I Killed Giants. Um, which so, my, I mean, which my still... mother just watched, and it sounded like such a ripoff of a Monster Calls. <laughs> His, let's see, his last credit is, uh, going off of IMDb, second, second assistant director on Beauty and the Beast. So what you're... Crowd, sec, crowd second assistant director on the Brothers Grimsby. Third assistant director on In the Heart of the Sea. So what you're saying is it sounds like a perfect example of men failing upward and mm -hmm. an appropriate movie starring Max Irons. I'm sorry, <laughs> the boy does not pick good projects um yeah i'm sorry okay actually i'm Are not you really though i'm not i'm not really sorry oh um, yeah it's just it's a high bar to cross god damn it and he's not gonna do it stop it um so yeah let's let's talk about uh our review this week we're gonna talk about ready player one um we've all seen it must we must we so we're we gonna have do, all seen it we're gonna oh do... i've been waiting to talk about this <laughs> We're going to do a non-spoiler section and a spoiler section. Um, so we'll let you know when the spoilers are going to happen. So this is uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Zach Penn, who you might know as the writer for Last Action Hero, which explains so much about this movie. Um, it's based on the novel by Ernest Klein about a young boy named Wade Watts, played by Ty Sheridan, who is living in a futuristic take of Columbus, Ohio, who spends all of his time in this VR world called The Oasis, and essentially is trying to be the Charlie Bucket, trying to find golden uh, tickets, Easter eggs, sorry, um, so that he can eventually become the owner of the Oasis. There are other things that happen. A villain, a Slugworth, trying to take him out. I swear, Roald Dahl, if he was alive right now, he would have sued this guy's ass off, okay? He's like, wait a minute, I've seen this movie. I, I wrote the damn book. I, I wrote this shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and Roald Dahl was an abusive asshole wife beater, so you know he would have come, okay? Anywho, I did not read the book. I am not, I like Spielberg, but I do not lose my mind over his work. Um, I did not hate this movie. I was telling somebody, it's going to be really hard to be the worst movie of the year for me, because it's mute, and it will always be mute, and this is not mute. This is better than mute, but it's not good. Um, I was just bored. I was really, really bored by this movie. It's two and a half hours of, I, I said on my tweets, it's the equivalent, it's cinematic equivalent of an erection lasting more than two hours. Um, it's, and I disagree with you. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm going to go around the table. Uh, I know, but I just have to say, like, right there in that point, I disagree with you and I can't wait to say that. Um, I, I <laughs> thought it was boring. I thought it was just we're gonna throw all this shiny shit that you remember and hope that you'll ignore 
that there's no story here. Um, it's Willy Wonka. The plot is Willy Wonka. I like Willy Wonka better. There is a great set piece taking place in a far better movie than this. Yes! And that's about all I liked. Um, I did like Olivia Cook too. I thought she was too good for this movie. And I love Ben Mendelsohn. I wish he would stop being great in shitty films. Um, because he's the highlight. But I wanted him to not be in this movie because it sucks. Um, so yeah, uh, we're gonna save Karen for last because I know she's got <laughs> thoughts. Kim, what did you think about Ready Player One? I I had fun. I was for it's the first like act and a half maybe. I mean, the showcasing of this for me was key. I mean, we saw it on probably they showcased it for us on probably the biggest screen I've ever seen and 3D, and that I think is how I. I hate to say it, I think that's how it needs to be seen. That made some of those sequences so... Inc- visually, I thought it was great. I I had fun, like I said, for the first half. And then the script caught up to it. That had to have been one of the worst scripts I've ever seen. And just... That movie had real balls being two and a half hours because it the post was quicker and better paced, I thought, than this was. I And, and I say that enjoying the post, but this should have been a lot punchier and a lot quicker and without diving into spoilers i thought they had that script was just so i didn't think steven spielberg would direct something that was self-insert fan fiction but apparently you know male written self-insert fan fiction gets a director like steven spielberg karen okay so you say that you felt it was the equivalent of a nostalgia erection that that lasted more than two hours. I say it was the equivalent of a nostalgia erection that couldn't stay up. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's just a bad <laughs> sexual experience. I, it's, yeah. It's, you just wish they would finish. That's what I, I said. I, I actually it's put up a secondary tweet. I put up a secondary tweet that says, it's essentially two hours of you being like, can you finish or just get off me? Because the glazed look in my eye is, is indicative. Here's, it's it's starting to change. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh dear. Um, Here's actually the term that I thought of yesterday that I haven't put on social media yet because I don't want other people to steal it from me and claim that it's theirs. Because I think this is a perfect comparison. I say this movie is a cinematic museum, meaning they show you all this cool nostalgia stuff, but you don't actually get to play with any of it. You can look, but you can't touch. There's like, he, the kid uses the freaking Back to the Future DeLorean, but you never see it go 88 miles an hour. It never goes to the back or to the future. It doesn't do any of that. There's all saying- these little things like, what you're saying is this is some asshole fanboy who keeps all his action figures in a box and says you can't mess yes! up the integrity of it. Exactly. That's exactly it. It's this museum idea where it's like, I mean, so at one point he's wearing his avatar, not even him, is wearing a Buckaroo Bonsai t-shirt and it's like, they make a reference to it. But no one ever explores why any of these things mean anything to anybody. And they never use any of this stuff for its intended purposes. And it's just all this, like, it's a lot to look at, but nothing to do. And it's so frustrating. So frustrating. 
the movie was boring. I honestly, I went through his entire filmography, and no, there are not movies that I love. Like, I don't love every movie, but this is the first Steven Spielberg movie where I actually felt bored from start to finish. And I was like, this is not the movie where I should have been feeling bored. No. Oh, definitely not. And the problem and that I, I have... Just- oh, one. Oh, I was just going to say, I was just totally shocked by that. I was completely unprepared to feel bored. I honestly, based on what you guys have been saying, because you saw it before I did, and all sorts of reaction online, I thought, you know, I am 100% a kid of the 80s. I was born in the 70s, but I grew up in the 80s. And I was like, this movie is exactly for me. This is the movie that is made for people who grew up with the pop culture that I grew up with. And, but then it's presented and I don't get to really enjoy it. I just get to look at it. And it, that's, you know, back to what I was saying. And so it just, it was so, it was such a frustrating experience. And I just, it, it, it made me so mad. (laughs) Well, and my, my issue too is they pick the 80s. And I was like, okay, this is set in 2054. And if you know historical cycles you know the 30-year cycle what you're saying is that these kids are going all the way back to a to a time period over by this point by the time it's set in the movie what 50 years like well if because it's set in 45 yeah and they're referring to things that happened back as far as the 80s so like 60 years 60 years you're telling me that fucking average teenagers are going back to shit that's 50 years 60 years older than them no, well, yes, as, as because the 80s are fucking cool. Okay, but I, okay, we can't even get kids today to watch a movie set in the fucking 40s, okay? But you're telling me that by the future we've got enlightened children that want to enjoy the 80s. Um, I think they go all the back, way back to about 78, because for some reason there's a Bee Gees song in here. Um, well, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. They do do what, Staying Alive or Tragedy yeah, or something, they, it's, yeah. it's, uh... I forget what it was. It's it's uh, it is staying alive. It's the big one. Um, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, so you're telling me that culture, we don't care about two thousands culture, which would be the thirty year cycle, which is common. You these kids should be celebrating millennial shit, you know, from the early two thousands. Well, 2000s. but look at what we're. But look at what a lot of the millennial shit is. It's rehash stuff from the eighties. This is true, what these but... kids are growing up with. Is is basically updated versions of what I grew up with. Right. And my other big issue, and this is why with with a film like this, you need to really do a good job of world building. There's not good world building in here. So what I was laughing about. Yeah, was I that... actually wanted to talk more about some of that stuff in the spoilers. Oh, okay. Section, so we'll we'll so. save it for spoilers. Cause I had some issues on this. This is just Ernest Cline masturbating to his childhood. Right. Um, I That's all this is. It's it's Ernest Cline getting his jollies about, you know, the nostalgia that he misses from his childhood. Um, okay, so before we get to spoilers, do we recommend or not recommend? I I would say if you absolutely love the book, it's a movie pass movie or red box. Do not pay full boat. Um what I say is if you're interested in seeing the movie, watch the damn movie. But if you're on the fence about it and you think you're probably not going to like it, guess what? You're probably not going to like it, so. Yeah, um, so let's get into spoilers. Let's get into spoilers. Yes. Um, yeah. So, the thing I was going to bring up about world building, you really need to do a good amount of world building. The script here just spews exposition. I, I said that in my review, it felt like an advertisement for a movie that's going to start after this movie. Um, because everything is exposition. I heard 
you could play a drinking game in the first 20 minutes with how many times they say the word holiday and oasis and you could get shit-faced in 20 minutes it just is word vomit it's look look at this guy and the problem is is that it's word vomit that never goes anywhere it's literally to just get you oriented but it keeps going even once we get to things um i i rolled my eyes so hard when the characters are like oh you're artemis goddess of the hunt if that's how you're delivering exposition you're doing a shitty job of it because it sounds like you're delivering exposition people don't talk people do that not way. talk like that well, and, maybe in 2045 they will, but... <laughs> then we've gotten stupider, which actually, I'm not going to lie, that's happening. a possibility. I maintain that that is happening. But my whole thing is, <laughs> obviously, everybody's spending all their time in these big VR goggles. And it doesn't look like WALL-E. That's what I was waiting for. Like, in WALL-E, everybody's super-duper fat. They have little spindly legs, because all they do is sit and watch TV and, like, tablets and stuff. Exactly. Everybody looks really fucking healthy. Um, so apparently they're getting exercise while they're doing all of this. Well, they're on well, that they're on 360 degree, yeah, that treadmill. So they are moving around and stuff. So that I, I buy. But here's one of my problems with it as you're talking about the exposition and everything. One of the problems that I had was there's no exploration of why this world is the way it is. Yes. People spend all their time in the oasis because the world sucks. But is it because the world sucks, or does the world suck because everybody's spending all their exactly. time online? Well, that's the other thing I wanted to know. Well, you know, there's all this economic inequality, at least people keep talking about economic inequality, and we see that the stacks where Wade lives are trailers stacked up on top of each other. And I was like, so when um, Artemis, the Olivia Cook character, starts talking about how she's part of this underground, A, the underground looks to be about five people. There's never any big talk right. of rebellion. Um, there's right. no rioting in the streets. Obviously, there's no racial inequality. I'm not really sure. We never talk about it. And then the movie ends with, oh, we told everybody to start going outside two days a week. Wait, did you solve economic inequality? Like, are people still fucking poor? I mean, what what is going on? This is why you don't have a 17-year-old boy running the goddamn world. Well, and why is Columbus, Ohio, the fastest growing city in the world? Is there a yes. reason for that? Yes. Or is probably it just because how the writer's it is? probably from Columbus? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah. <laughs> Talk Tell amongst yourself. Right. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna laugh my ass off if you are. I bet you are. Um, I did. I did think. Um, I, I do want to talk about the visuals because I think everybody's giving this movie a bit too much praise for its visuals. I like the photorealism in certain scenes. Um, since we're in spoilers, The Shining sequence the shining that was amazing Ernest Klein, born in ashland ohio okay <laughs> um that yeah that's why so much i i liked i liked the shining even though it did remind me that i'd rather just be watching the shining um but i thought it was great until we got the video game shit you could really tell it was cgi like when the chick comes out with the knife from the bathtub i was like well there goes the effect because it looks like a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying there. I, I thought the visuals were almost entirely good. I thought it looked cool, even when you know it's not real, because, I mean, the whole point of this is that they're all in a video game. So it doesn't have to look like reality all the time. Some games look a lot more real than others, and when you're exploring the entirety of video game history... I, I was fine with going in and out of that. Um, 
The Shining was another perfect example, though, of what I'm talking about, where it's like, this looks so cool. Like, oh, my gosh, when those doors open and they're standing in the freaking lobby of the Stanley mm-hmm. Hotel, I was just like, oh, my gosh, finally something good to see. And it was like there were parts of it that were super cool and fun. But then I was just like, but they're losing the the magic of this and why this movie is so cool right i mean these kids are in the shining world and they're not like looking in all the corners like i would be looking in every single corner Mm -hmm. like i would be so amazed there's no amazement to any of this right it's just like oh yeah yeah that's cool um Mm -hmm. i I, let's i do want to bring up actors real quick because i want to say one more plot yes yes please please one of the problems that i had with plot and maybe this is me, like, zoning out and not missing some important piece of the puzzle here, but uh, the bad guy, Ben Mendelsohn, who runs this IOI thing, uh, they're trying to get this Easter egg, too, because they want to control the Oasis to monetize it. Like, that's the big evil thing that they have to stop is advertising. <laughs> Well, that's what I was really confused. I was like, okay, <laughs> I think we forget that the 80s were also the time of corporate greed and excess. Like, we forget mm-hmm. how economically shaky the 80s were. And this whole... Greed is good. Yeah, greed is good, and you can exactly. profit off of it. Um, and we made a movie about it. Um, so so my whole thing is he, he wants to talk about monetization. Um I did think it was, I was like, okay, is it obviously a political statement that he's kind of this, like, out-of-touch temper tantrum man-child who only knows marketing and, like, only knows how to sell a company, even though it... You mean, like, somebody in our I don't know, (laughs) maybe. Um, Wink, wink. Yeah, I was like, I would love fucking Ben Mendelsohn to be our president, I'm not gonna lie. Um, It'd be great. Um, But I was like, okay, his job is just monetization how dare i even though we watch wade's fucking uncle or whatever lose all their money buying upgrades for his avatar so wait does this already not run on money well i mean the whole thing does run on money because there's that like when wade wins the first key and he gets all that all that money in his account and then he's able to order the real world suit so clearly people i mean there's a uh, second life here that yeah, we have now yeah. that people use and they can make actual money doing that. And so to me, it was something like that, but this is like, cause there's that scene where they're talking about the actual pop-up ads on your visor and it's like, Oh, we've tested it. And this is how many we can do without making people go into seizures. <laughs> yeah. But I was, I was just like, okay, so it's just ad, it's just advertising. I was, I was like, yeah. wait, this movie's, this, this company's already making, not this company, but Halliday's company's already making millions of dollars. I would be surprised. I, I, it was just so confusing. It was just so confusing that there were, so were, yeah. There were so many threads that this movie couldn't... They, they weave such, I thought, interesting threads, but it was always a case of, you know, why am I not watching that movie? Yep. Yeah. Like, I thought there was some... In, there was... I want that Artemis backstory. I'm like, that was interesting stuff. Why are we not developing that? Why are we watching Wade? The reason the Lego movie worked so well... I'm talking about the first one. The second... The Batman one I liked, too. But the reason the first Lego 
movie worked so well is because you've got this crazy world in which Batman and Gandalf can work together against a bad guy that's mm-hmm. clearly a bad guy. And yes, he's like Mr. Business or whatever. But they they use their individual skills for these purposes and they use the things from their individual worlds to come together for this common goal. And that's what I thought Ready Player One was going to do more of, but it did not do that well at all. Yeah, and I, I do want to bring up, at the end of the movie, Ben Mendelsohn's character is, is less a villain and more just one part of the Beagle Boys from DuckTales. Like, <laughs> like his whole like finale at the end, I was like, oh my god, you're a Mr. Magoo villain, I'm done. Um, I do want to bring up Artemis real quick, because I think we all agree, Olivia Cook is really good. But she's the manic pixie. Underutilized. She's the manic Very. pixie dream girl. She even mm-hmm. looks like a fucking pixie. Her avatar. And I almost threw my pen at the screen when she was like, "If we were in the real world, you wouldn't like me." And then he meets her in the real world, and he's like, "Hey, girl, you got that big, slightly light birthmark over your eyeball. You're you're sexy anyway." And I, I'm okay <laughs> with it. I was like, "Oh my god, you know what?" Fucking Shape of Water told us just because some guy's cool with your disability doesn't make him a fucking hero, okay? And her disability is a birthmark. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I was like, bitch, you are super hot. You have a slight little discoloration on your face, okay? Which, if you play it right, that just looks awesome. Yes, Come on. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all, this is how you she, know. She learns how to play it really well. This is well. how you know it is a guy who is like, I have no girlfriend. It's essentially fucking nerd porn. Like, I understand. It is. Yeah. That's all it if is. If some lady yep. gave me a chance, I would totally see past, like, a hideous birthmark. Maybe maybe not if she weighed like a, you know, 400 pounds and was missing a leg, but a birthmark. I could definitely support that. No, dude, go fuck yourself. Um, well, and in Artemis' point, the fact what got me was, you know, they start to lay these seeds of, oh, look, badass, revolutionary, whatever. And then for no apparent reason during one of those sequences, she just throws up her hands and it's like, go away, save yourself. Yeah. And suddenly she's damsel in distress. Yep. It's mm-hmm. no apparent reason. Wade has shown no charisma, no anything in terms of why half of this shit would even happen. It just does. This is purely nerd self-insert. This is Ernest Klein, you know, writing his fantasies. And we give we gave E.L. James shit for doing the exact same thing. Yeah, and Ty Sheridan, um, I, I liked him in Mud. Is horrible. He's horrible. <laughs> he's horrible in this. Um, everything sounds like he's reading an audiobook. You well, know, that's what's so weird. Spielberg can draw really good performances out of lots of people. So it's like, right. what happened here? Yeah. It, that's what, I, I even said that in my review. It's like, Sheridan is miscast. I don't know. There's just, he doesn't work with what Spielberg was trying to do. And Spielberg has gotten some great performances out of kids. It's like, what on earth happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope. I, I will plan to forget this movie as quick as possible. Um, I, I told somebody it's a nice solid three on my worst of the year, right behind Mute and Red Sparrow. That's a good question. Where do I currently have it? Now that I'm pulling up my list. Yeah, I think we got we got time for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a minute. Um, let me see here. <laughs> yeah, because I, I love my letterboxed for this. Yes. But, um... Yeah, I was telling somebody short of a massive, out-of-focus, 
$3 looking movie, um, I don't think my one is going to change. <laughs> so that hurts me. Ready Player One is currently at number 16 out of 21 movies. Ooh, okay. For me this year. Yeah. So, uh, what is Gringo it? is probably not going to be dethroned. Exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, I saw Gringo in uh, that other one, Den of Thieves, so it's got a little work for me. I didn't see you, Den of Thieves. You gave me Den of Thieves. Is, I'm, I'm going to have an exciting, fun time with that. Like, ripping <laughs> on it. <laughs> um, so, what does everybody have on tap this week? Um, that's a good question. Um, I can I tell you, I have a lot of screeners. Um, I have screeners for um, Where is Kyra? I possibly have one for Chappaquiddick. I have not heard back from the rep, um, and I'm hoping I get it. I also have uh, American Animals um, from The Orchard, which I... <gasps> yeah! Ooh, I'm so jealous! I I had a ticket for that at Sundance, but I was double booked with the kindergarten teacher, and I chose Maggie Gyllenhaal instead. Yeah, I got... I, See, got a... I, I offloaded a ticket for somebody who was double booked yeah, and got um, I, I guess the nice. director is going to do interviews here in, in San, uh, San Francisco, and I'm supposed to have a phone interview, so they sent me the screener. He was a fun one. Um, he made The Imposter, which is one of my favorite documentaries documentaries i think it was my my number one or number two movie of the year the year it came out um if you haven't seen it it's it's amazing so i have those um i also have um screenings of blockers um and a quiet place um so those are ah, same i'm so excited to see a quiet place i know oh i might i might go see miracle season but if i can't find anybody to go with me then um i will have to wait and go see it um, at the theater, which it, I'm fine with. So, Karen, I saw that the other day. So. Karen, what's on tap for you this week? The only screening I have this week is I'm actually going out of town. I'm taking a break, um, but this week I have a screening of Disobedience, Ooh. which is with Rachel Vice and uh, Rachel McAdams. Ooh. So I heard that, that was good. I've, I've heard good things, so yeah, I'm really excited for that. Kim. Uh, a Quiet Place and Blockers are my two for the week. Yep. Good time. So uh, that's going to close up. That's going to close out this episode of Citizen Dame. You can download the podcast at citizendame.podbean.com. We are also on Stitcher Radio. Uh, we are also on iTunes. Please leave a rating uh, at the bare minimum if you can. Five stars would really help us out. We are also now on Spotify. So if you have Woo-hoo. a Spotify account, you can listen to us. Woohoo! Um, we are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash citizendamepod. We have our official website, which is citizendamepod.com, where we do our weekly Citizen Dame Fives. We also started a column run by our own Kimberly Pierce called a Feminist Fridays, uh, looking at feminism in classic cinema. I'm also going to have uh, an interview uh, in the next couple of weeks for the Netflix movie Liberated, looking at... Uh, sexual uh harassment during spring break she's gonna be really interesting um it's on netflix if you want to watch it and they yeah so there's gonna be an interview on the the website and a review of that coming up for me so there's a lot of good stuff on there we also have lauren's what i did for love piece on earth girls are easy so you can read that lauren is actually the top rated writer on our website uh everybody (laughs) reads her stuff so go over there if you haven't um also we are on patreon patreon.com slash citizen dame um we have an amazing amount of special gifts right uh with the end of the month we're going to start giving out our twitter shout outs for our patrons um we also are a dollar away 
from me doing a list of my favorite movie codes and special thing for <laughs> patrons coming out in the next couple of days probably by the time this episode is up um we actually decided to get in on the march madness fun you can find the bracket on our twitter uh at citizen dame pod uh we did our own march madness internet boyfriends bracket with all of our our men and we did a nearly what was it two was it a nearly two hour episode yep it, nearly yeah, two hour it. episode fighting over um who was gonna win we you can hear us uh solicit twitter polls and you might or might not hear a special guest on the podcast uh at a certain point uh yeah yeah so it's a lot of fun it's gonna be there it's only gonna be available for patrons on our patreon so if you want to listen to it consider kicking us uh, a buck or two because that would really really help anything else oh and the, the last episode is all it, by, so by the time this goes up, will the, the last week's episode be up as well, Karen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if you missed it, because we, we had some technical difficulties, so we're kind of shotgunning episodes back to back, please be sure to listen to the previous episode that uh, just went up, as well as this one, because we have a lot of good stuff on there. We have a special guest, Valerie Complex, and Karen and I might have made a bet that's not going to pay off until <laughs> September, but you're going to want to know that so that when we talk about it again in September, you'll know what team you're on, which should be mine. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be mine. Yeah, so so we're going to we're gonna wrap it up sharing our Twitter handles. Um, you can find Lauren Humphreys-Brooks, who is not here this week, at LH Business. Um, I am always at Journeys underscore film. Kim, where are you? K- at KPair624. And Karen? at Karen M. Peterson. So we will be back next week. Bye. Bye.